Last week, uh, we covered the Gospel of Mark pretty much a little bit at the beginning and a little bit about the end and kind of saw how Mark is one who is going to really press things forward, like push the action from one story right to the next. And I wanted to uh, kind of share with you a couple of um, pretty famous stories right here and, and also show you a neat thing that Mark does. Um, this might be found in other uh, Gospels as well, but definitely in Mark we see this uh, several different times. But this is kind of, I guess you might call it a little bit of a sandwich effect. It's, it's like one story that is interrupted in the middle. So you've got the story at the top and the story at the bottom that's connected, but then you have another story that comes in right here in the middle. Um, and we see that a couple of different times in Mark's gospel, and it's it's really a neat thing because these stories he inter he he weaves them together, interconnects them in some of the details. And both of these stories, kind of the driving message behind it that we should get is something about faith. So that actually kind of connects this story from Mark five and also the story from Mark uh, eleven. We see some parallels, and it's all focusing on our faith and the amount of faith that we need to have. So let's take a look at these together. The first of the sandwich um, of uh, stories that we're going to be looking at is kind of, it's a miracle within another miracle. And this comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Now, I know it's quite a few verses, and this is probably going to be the bulk of what we're going to look at. In fact, we're, we're mainly going to be looking at these two miracles, but then I also want us to kind of throw in that, that other story too and sort of see how it's not just that Mark does this in one place. He does it in a couple of different places. Uh, this is where we see the, the beautiful... Um, nature of scripture working together in the sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding Mark, but also Mark has kind of some flexibility and some freedom in order to construct these stories in such a way that, yes, these events happen and they, they happen in this way, but he wrote about them in a certain way to even give us more meaning that one of them kind of feeds off of the other. So in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see this is uh, where we might even see the, the famous phrase about touching the hem uh, of his garment. Now, specifically, that comes about this miracle of touching the hem of Jesus' garment, but it's used in other uh, passages, uh, I'm sorry, in, it's used in other places um, in our maybe day-to-day -day lives or something like that. It's become kind of a phrase uh, that has expanded beyond the original meaning, but this is the original story that it comes down to. So, let's look at this miracle within a miracle. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 and going down through verse 24. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Um, now, uh, as I was reading it, I pronounced his name uh, Jairus, um, but you might know it as Jairus. I, I don't know exactly why. It, it looks like it should be pronounced Jairus, but I've always heard it as Jairus. So if you call him Jairus, if you call him Jairus, I don't think that's too much of an issue. What really is, is his daughter is dying. She's really sick, and he wants Jesus to come and to heal her. Now, one of the neat things that I kind of also mentioned even last week is um, I happen to think that because this person is named, that that might indicate that he became a Christian. I mean, it definitely indicates that, well, he would be well known and people could be able to kind of verify these details. But the fact that he is specifically named, I mean, he's not just, it would have been 
um, completely fine in this story to just say one of the synagogue leaders. But it doesn't just say that. In verse 22, it's one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. So because of that specific details, he quite likely became a follower of Jesus. He definitely, even at this point, you know, keep in mind, because he's a synagogue leader, he would not be um, necessarily a follower of Jesus. He would be kind of part of the Jewish community. It would, you know, stand to reason. And here we see that even though he's part of this Jewish community, and he is even a leader of the synagogue there, um, because of those things, or I guess in contrast to those things, he comes to Jesus and he has faith in Jesus that Jesus can heal his daughter. So Jesus agrees and he's going. So now I said it's a miracle within a miracle. This is, we would maybe expect the next few verses to be talking about, okay, so Jesus went and healed her and everything was, was great. But that's not what the story tells us. The story has a miracle within this one. But we'll get back to this in a moment. Verses 25 through 34. Let's see this in-between miracle here. And notice the emphasis on faith. Mark 5, verses 25 through 34. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So now we see a miracle. We see this one's not interrupted uh, by anything. It's the other one that's going to be interrupted. But this one right here, this interruption, there's several parallels that he kind of combines these stories together. Uh, one of the things that we see right here that I just want us to sort of take notice of in verse 25, we find out that she's been dealing with this issue for 12 years. Now, we don't know how long uh, Jairus or Jairus's daughter has been dealing with the sickness, but it's going to be specifically mentioned here in just a few verses that she was 12 years old. So it's kind of neat that you have uh, both of them are women. Uh, one of them here is a 12 year old girl. This other woman has been suffering for 12 years. So, I mean, this is like a, a lengthy illness. This is one that people can't really help her, but she has faith. She thought in verse 28, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I mean, this is a very interesting healing because it's kind of, it's direct, but at the same time, it's indirect in the sense of she's getting really close to him, but it's not like, oh, well, if I could just, you know, touch his, his head or his hands or his feet. It's not those things. It's if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And, you know, we know this as the hem of the garment or, the, you know, the edge of the garment. And uh, perhaps that might be how we even uh, might reference this, um, this story in, without even necessarily knowing it or without thinking about it. We might hear that phrase. And maybe you've heard that phrase. Uh, perhaps you haven't. But uh, sometimes people will kind of reference it. Well, this is that story. It's a story of this woman who had such faith in Jesus that if she could just get close enough to touch, not him, but his garments, she would be healed. And he responds to her in verse 34, 
your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So obviously she experienced this, this freedom. She experienced this healing. And this healing came because of her willingness to have faith in God and specifically have faith in Jesus, the Son of God. So this is the miracle that interrupted the other one. But now, if you want to look at it, this is kind of like the, the meat in the sandwich. So now we're going to go to the other slice of bread, so to speak. Maybe I'm taking that analogy a little bit too far. But let's go back to Jairus' daughter and let's see um, her healing. Before we get to that healing, though, we see kind of some negative uh, news. We actually see it's going to be perhaps a little bit more of a miracle than what we might have thought because she's died. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loud, loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say, do you get up? Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. There's so many things about this story uh, that I definitely love, but we see that it's one of faith. It's not one that is dependent upon uh, the faith of the little girl. The little girl at this point, um, she's not only just sick, she, she has actually died. And, you know, at this point in the story, if this is your first time of listening to it, you might wonder, well, why was Jesus delayed? You know, why did he do that miracle instead of just coming in and helping this girl like what he said he would? But we find out that whenever she does die, that Jesus knows that's not the end. He says it's not the end. So now, not only do we see that Jesus is has power over uh, sicknesses that have been going on for 12 years, but we also see that Jesus has power over kind of what we would consider sort of the ultimate sickness in the sense of death itself. This, this is one of the few um, people that Jesus actually brings back from the dead. And there's several interesting things about the story that I can only kind of point to and, and sort of um, ask some questions about as to you know why they are the way that they are. Um, but, you know, we, we could look at this and we can wonder, well, well, why did Jesus only heal a handful of people? Because obviously more people died during the time that he was um, ministering than just the ones that he raised up. But he raised up the ones that he did for specific purposes. You know, he, he had a purpose behind what he did. He had a reason behind what he did. There's also another interesting thing in this story, because in verse 41, it specifically leaves this phrase untranslated. And then it gives us the translation, you know, little girl, I say to you, get up. You know, that might be the same type of thing that, okay, uh, if if Jairus was waking up uh, his daughter in the morning to go to school or, or, you know, whatever the case, he might say to her, you know, he might kind of shake her just a little bit and say, you know, little girl, uh, I say to you, get up. You know, it's the same type of thing that we might say to just wake somebody up from sleep. And Jesus is saying this to this little girl. But yet she's not just asleep. She's died. 
but Jesus has so much power that you know he he speaks about her being asleep, not dead. He speaks about her being asleep, even though she she was dot she she was dead. But here in this passage, we see the power that Jesus has, the power that he can just kind of wake her up, you know, just kind of nudge her a little bit, take her by the hand, and she's raised up. So, in this passage, we see this girl, she's 12 years old. Once again, we saw that 12 being um, compared there. We also see the focus on belief, the focus on faith. In verse 36, uh, whenever they get news and they kind of discourage uh, Jairus from continuing on to, to bother Jesus, um, Jesus told him in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, I would not necessarily encourage that same type of response to people who are grieving. I mean, obviously this man is is grieved because he just got news that his daughter died. That's not typically the best time to say to that person who's in the midst of this grief, don't be afraid, just believe. But when you're Jesus and whenever you know what's going to happen like this, it, it's okay. I mean, Jesus was going to do something extreme. We see these connections. We see that Jesus has such great power. We see this story and, and how Mark is, is connecting these two, two stories together to give us kind of a little bit more meaning with each story and a little bit more power to the, the, the point of we need to be people who have faith in Jesus. Jesus has all this power. Why would we possibly doubt him? Yet in our day-to-day -day lives, how oftentimes do we find ourselves doubting in some way or, or another? Sometimes more extreme than other ways, but we still find ways of doubting. But Jesus is all-powerful. We don't need to be afraid. We need to have faith. We need to believe. The next sandwich story that we're going to see is uh, also kind of similar to this. And we're, we're going to look at this uh, a lot quicker than what we did the other one. But it's these two, um, these two parallels that go together. Uh, we're familiar with the cleansing of the temple, okay? Whenever Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple. It kind of seems from the different Gospels, because of the way John writes about it uh, early on in Jesus' ministry, or at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the other Gospels write about it at the end of Jesus' ministry, they all kind of write about it in a little different way and kind of include different details, and it's kind of a neat thing. And So I guess in this case, I'm sort of also going back to something we looked at a, a couple weeks ago, uh, about why are there four Gospels. So this will get into a little bit of that. It will get into a little bit about Mark itself and just also kind of the sandwiching of stories and how one story will produce even more meaning to another whenever you combine these two and mesh them all together. So we know the story about the cleansing of the temple. And there's another story that takes place. It's the cursing of the fig tree. It's kind of an odd story. I'll give you that. But in Mark's Gospel, I, I guess one of the things that I really like about Mark's Gospel is to me, at least, he's got the best, the best explanation for why Jesus cursed the fig tree and then the cleansing of the temple. Like these two stories, they seem like they're not connected. But in Mark's gospel, they are. Because look at him going back and forth between these two stories. So in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. Uh, now, we have skipped a, a lot. So we're going to read, you know, the next day. Okay, that doesn't mean the next day after he just, uh, you know, healed the woman and after he healed uh, Jairus' daughter. We, we skipped a lot. We're at the end of Jesus' ministry, pretty much. So, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. 
And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, it's just kind of a weird thing. And uh, we, we see this story and we're like, okay, why is Jesus cursing this, this fig tree? And what, what's going on? If it's not the right season, why is he expecting it? Um, it's my understanding from fig trees and how they work is whenever they are in leaf, that means that they should have fruit. So this is a fig tree that what we see from the outside is this tree that looks like, from all indication, that it should be bearing fruit. But for whatever reason, it's not. And that's why Jesus kind of pronounces this curse. And he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. So his disciples heard that. And, you know, I don't know. What, what is Jesus doing right there? His disciples probably didn't know. They were just like, that's just one of these weird things that Jesus is doing. And they just continued on with their everyday lives. Little did they know, and the way that Mark kind of tells us about it, this is connected to the story that they are about to experience. Let's look at that story. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Okay, so here we see Mark records very familiar, you know, just kind of cleansing of the temple. Um, yes, there's a lot that's going on right here. And if we so choose to see it, as Mark is, uh, I believe, as, as Mark is telling us and giving us more meaning behind all of these things, what Jesus sees whenever he goes to the temple is he sees, so to speak, a fig tree with leaves. From the outside, everything about the temple looks like it should be producing fruit. But for whatever reason, it's not producing the right type of fruit at this time. So we see a fruit tree that's not bearing fruit. And we see kind of the possibility of a curse or negative things coming by the hand of Jesus. So we see this cleansing of the temple taking place and now it's connected with this fig tree thing um, but we're not finished with the fig tree story yet this is the in between this is kind of the the intermission the interlude the interruption however you kind of want to look at it um, I, I don't I don't know if that kind of uh, interruption would be the best thing because these little inserts here they give better meaning more meaning to both stories I believe so right here the cleansing of the temple Jesus said, enough is enough, and he drives them out. So they go out of the city, and then we go back to the fig tree. Notice this. In Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So now we go back to the fig tree. They go, they go back to it, they see it, he cursed it, they knew it, they heard it, and it's withered. 
Now, we notice that it's the same type of thing that's going on with the temple. The temple was just like the fig tree. It had the leaves, it had everything in the, the right order, you know, it had um, it, it had a, a whole priesthood that was functioning, it had people who were coming and offering sacrifices, and they were um, supposed to be offering prayer and everything. So it kind of, it looked like everything was in order, but it wasn't. It wasn't producing fruit. That's why Jesus turned over the uh, the money changers, the, the tables of the money changers. And right here, we see a fig tree. It has leaves. It should have fruit, but it has no fruit. And he cursed it. So we see these two stories kind of connecting with one another. And we find out that ultimately, uh, this sandwich of stories and the other one, the miracle within the miracle, both of these have at the heart of them faith and the need to have faith. And faith itself is one of these interesting things because it's, it's one thing just to tell somebody to have faith in God. But here we see these illustrations that can kind of put some meat on, on, the, on the bone, so to speak, and give us something of substance to recognize what does it look like to have faith in God. And these stories uh, with the, uh, the temple and the fig tree and also the healings, all of these stories tell us about the power that Jesus has and also the need for us to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Do we have this type of faith? Do you have this type of faith? And what are you willing to do to uh, go along with that faith and to serve Jesus, to serve God with your whole life? That's a great question for each one of us to ask and for us to continue to, to consider the, where are we putting our faith? Are we putting our faith in God? Are we putting our faith in Jesus?